HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome to What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. And today we're going to be talking about arsenic in our food system with Dr. Urvashi Rangan. Uh, Dr. Rangan is uh, leads and directs the Consumer Safety and Sustainability Group for Consumer Reports. She is responsible for managing risk analysis, policy assessments, label evaluations, and consumer advice for tests, reports, and related advocacy work. Dr. Rangan serves as a primary national spokesperson for consumer reports in the areas of sustainable production, consumption practices, food safety, and product, product safety issues related to chemical and contaminant hazards. Hence, she is the guru on arsenicals in our food supply. Um, so, Dr. Rankin, thank you so much for rejoining me on this program. I want to remind guests that um, Orvashi was on the show a few months ago um, talking about antibiotics in the food system. Surprise, surprise. Um, but thanks a lot for doing this um, sort of uh, last minute here. And I was prompted to contact you, Orvashi, because of the um, press release that you guys put out a couple of days ago about um, the FDA finally issuing proposed uh, apple juice guidance uh, regarding uh, levels of arsenic. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, and happy to be back on. Thanks, Katie. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, just last week, um, there was really actually a piece of good news coming out of um, the FDA, which uh, establishes really for the first time a uh, limit for arsenic in, in a food product. In this case, it's apple juice, um, which has probably been at least a two-year endeavor with the FDA. I'd say even a little bit more. And um, they finally last week had conducted enough of their testing and risk assessment. We've been in dialogue with them a number of times over the studies we did um, and our risk assessment of arsenic um, in juice, and we followed also with rice. Um, and so it's a really, it's, it's, pre- it's precedent setting, 
Um, I think where they started in terms of a limit is comparable with the drinking water standard of 10 parts per billion and without getting into units right away. It's at least a good starting point. We'd like to see those levels get stronger and stronger over time. Um, In a similar way in which we've tackled lead in food, uh, we need to get better and better about our arsenic exposure and knowing where it is and making sure we have safeguards in place. Well, where else is arsenic? I mean, it's in apple juice, and I'm going to ask you how it gets there. It's in grape juice. I don't know how it gets there either. Rice, I understand better because I know that rice fields are often um, fertilized with uh, chicken waste, right? I mean, isn't they that where it gets can from? be, yeah. <clears throat> and, that's, and that's sort of largely where it comes from. Uh, t- take us back about how, how does arsenic get into our food? I mean, some I know, of it is natural. It's a really good question, and I think there's a lot of... Um, sort of back and forth out mm-hmm. in, the, in the public sphere about it. So, you know, just to zoom out 100 feet, arsenic is something that is a heavy metal, and yes, it occurs naturally in the Earth's crust. Right. So I think, you know, that's a point that gets made on sort of both sides of this debate about arsenic is that it, it can occur naturally. Now, whether it, it, what's in your food came from what occurred naturally or what was added, it doesn't really matter if it's in the form of inorganic arsenic which is one of the forms we're particularly concerned about, um, it's a problem and it carries risk with it. It doesn't matter what what origin it is. Um, What really matters, though, and when we look at the food, sort of zooming in a little bit closer to the whole thing, is that, um, yes, while it can occur naturally, it doesn't occur naturally at the same level in every place. Um, Certain places are are more prone to arsenic contamination than others. It's ground. It's also water. And so there's a number um, of municipal water supplies um, that actually also are higher in arsenic. People with well water in the northeast are uh, prone to higher levels of arsenic in their well water supply. Always need to get those checked. And so, you know, this isn't a matter of it's everywhere, so what do we do about it? So let's do nothing about it. That's not that's not the equation, and okay. and it's a more sophisticated discussion. So, fine, we acknowledge there's some out there, and there's some in the ground, and some in water, and it's concentrated in certain places. The next thing we look at is sort of what have we done as humans to actually add arsenic into our food supply. There's a couple of things we used to do. We used to actually use uh, an old pesticide called lead arsenate, which is lead and it's also arsenic. Um, and we, we, it was the inorganic form of arsenic, the most toxic form, and we used it in apple orchards. We used it in vineyards. Um, and so the grounds in some of these old, old orchards and places may still be contaminated with these things in the soil. Now, the conditions in how it gets taken up by the plants and the trees um, do vary, and it depends on the climate conditions and other things. Um, cotton was also another crop that was treated with lead arsenate. And if you look at a geographical map, you can start to see places, um, especially you know where we've produced uh, rice, overlaps in a lot of the places where we produced cotton. Now, the industry contends they're not exactly the same places, but really, if you look at the geography, they're very similar um, places and from similar states. So any ground that was sort of um, treated with this stuff may still have it even decades later after we stopped it. What we still mm-hmm. allow, however, even on cotton right now, is the use of organic arsenical pesticides. So now let's just talk about organic arsenic. That must be safe and good for me. But it's it's not, and there are several, several types of organic arsenic. So I want to put one thing to rest right now, which is that fish when you look at levels in the, in the FDA database, really spike in terms of their levels of arsenic. But wow. that type of arsenic is a 
form called arsenobetaine. On the list of all the arsenics we're trying to get a handle on, it's it's sort of our one of least concern right now. Uh-huh. That doesn't mean there's no concern, but least concern. So put that aside for now and put fish aside for now. There are a number of other types of organic arsenical pesticides, though, as well, which there are some concerns about. And those types can also interconvert back to the inorganic form. So another way we use arsenic is to feed poultry. We have drugs that are approved for poultry production. We can feed it to the poultry. It goes through them. Um, That organic form can convert to the inorganic form. And then we use those fertilizers, uh, the manures for fertilizer. We also put it back into animal feed. Um, And so we are are still cycling this stuff in our food supply. Mm -hmm. And we actually, as an organization, are looking at all of those things and saying, this doesn't make any sense. Obviously, we want to get these levels down, but the first steps we need to take is to stop deliberately adding it to our food supply. Right. Absolutely. So in the in the case of the poultry industry, I know I think that they have stopped or are beginning to phase out the use of arsenicals in treating poultry diseases like coccidosis or whatever it's called. Um, there seems to be some there kind is of definitely movement, movement toward that, there. Katie. Yeah. You're yeah. right. The yeah. yep. FDA had asked Alpharma, which is a subsidiary of Pfizer, to mm-hmm. voluntarily withdraw selling uh, Roxerson, which was right. the one major brand of arsenic uh, for poultry on the market. Now, um, Alpharma did do that. Alpharma also manufactures nitrozone, which was not taken off the market, which is chemically a very similar structure. And because of the lack of reporting, which we talked about in in the previous show of antimicrobial use and antibiotic use, um, those drugs are not really required to be reported in any specific fashion in terms of their use and amounts. And uh, we don't have that kind of reporting. So this is all a little bit in the dark. We have 100 arsenical drugs still approved by the FDA. So at this point, it's a little bit of, uh, it would be great if the poultry industry had stopped using it. Maybe they would help petition to get these things off the market altogether so we don't have to keep guessing whether it's being used or not. Yeah, it would be really nice. It would be really nice. (laughs) What what surprised me is that it only took the FDA a couple of years to uh, issue these guidelines about uh, apple juice and grape juice. And and can we talk a little bit about um, sort of the length of time it takes between issue arising and (laughs) FDA issuing guidelines? Yeah, I mean, it always takes time for a federal agency to be able to do these things. Um, You know, I'd like to give the FDA some credit here because I think two years is actually a relatively short time frame to do something like this. And it's partially why it's coming in the form of guidance and not a hard standard. But that said, we know from talking to the FDA as well as several attorneys general's offices in the states um, that it will be used as an enforcement level. And so that's a good thing. It is just for apple juice right now. We'd like to see it move into other juices um, Mm -hmm. as well. Um, but but rice will be the next thing. FDA is in the middle of testing. I, I guess they've completed testing um, a thousand more rice samples um, in addition to the 200 they put out the same day we went out with our 200 samples of, uh-huh. of rice and arsenic data. Um, and that's going to be really important, too, in terms of you have to have a certain amount of data out there to see, obviously, what the landscape is. Um, juice is somewhat easier to tackle than rice because you have so many different products, and that means a lot of different risk assessments that you have to do right. based on consumption of those products. Um, 
And uh, once you get enough data and you can start crunching through the risk assessments and you have to go through the laborious process of doing the risk assessments and drawing some kind of line. So FDA is in the middle of that for rice, and, and we've been waiting for that data, and hopefully it will be out soon. Um, and that will be the next thing up. You know, rice likes to take up arsenic in particular because it's grown in anaerobic conditions, and water, they tend to be grown in flooded conditions, and right. so... So the way rice is, it has a rhizome, that, and it, it, it creates conducive conditions for taking up arsenic from the root structure um, in those anaerobic water conditions. And so uh, that's how, why arsenic tends to get into rice so much. And I guess just another sort of point to note is different foods will take up different metals in different ways, and, and that's really important to keep in mind. So again, it's not sort of a it, arsenic's everywhere, everything has it, everything's taking it up. There's reasons why it's in certain places. There's reasons why certain plants like to take it up, and those are the, the foods we, we think the FDA should be focused on in terms of setting standards for first. Wow. Um, Urvashi, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Dr. Urvashi Rangan from Consumer Reports. We're talking about arsenicals in our food supply. Uh, This is What Doesn't Kill You, and stay tuned for the next segment. You're listening to Leaving by Dead Stars on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more from What Doesn't Kill You. This is Chris Howell from King Vineyard and Women, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world, highly processed food and wine, we support the values of heritage radio. All of us at King encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything To learn more about us, go to kingvine.com. You're just joining us now. This is What Doesn't Kill You. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. And on the phone with me today is Dr. Urvashi Rangan from Consumer Reports. And we're talking about arsenic in the food supply and most notably um, a recent FDA guideline that was issued about uh, levels, parts per billion in um, apple juice, at which um, consumers and I'm sure Consumer Reports and I'm sure most consumers would like to see extended to other things. So besides rice and juice, Urvashi, what, what else um, is taking up? You mentioned that it's like, specific to certain plants will take up more or others will take up less and that and that regions of the United States are more prone to have a higher level of arsenic in the soil um, or in the water. So what what are some of the other products that people should be, I guess, not worried about because you'd have to eat an awful lot of rice contaminated with arsenic or drink an awful lot of juice? Am I right about that? I mean, how much juice would a child have to consume in order to be considered at risk for arsenic poisoning? Well, you know what? It's a carcinogen, and so really your goal should be to have as as the least amount of carcinogen as possible. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I suppose, you know, how much is, is too much starts to get into lines of some uncertainty in terms of assessing that. Um, and certainly children are going to be more vulnerable to, sure. to the effects of arsenic. And, you know, we're just talking today about the cancer effects and the long-term chronic consumption of arsenic related to cancer, um, which is over a lifetime of exposure. Uh, 
inorganic arsenic, though, in addition to being a sort of pluripotent carcinogen, is also got a lot of non-cancer effects that are also of concern, especially to the immune system. And um, the EPA will be in the process of issuing a separate risk document, and that's unprecedented for any chemical to do a separate risk document just for the non-cancer effects because there are so many. And animal studies have sort of shown if you've got an immunocompromised animal and then you give them arsenic, they're they're, they can't um, actually cope very well at all. Their immune systems are completely compromised, and when they're insulted then with, say, something like the flu virus, um, there's been shown to be enormous mortality rates. So, you know, the toxicity of arsenic is, is really beginning to get solidified into something we better understand. We know in addition to skin cancer, it causes bladder cancer and liver cancer. We think kidney oh. too. And then there's going to be a host of other things. And then there's all these different forms. At the end of the day, we, we think that the, the best thing to be doing is starting to take, again, these, these larger steps of First of all, we need to stop actually using it in our food supply and contaminating our environment with it. So that's really, really important. Um, And again, I think uh, over a lifetime, we should all be concerned with our exposures to heavy metals, whether it's in fish, you want to make sure you're not eating high mercury fish all the time and those types of things. Um, It's a similar thing with arsenic. You know, if you have kids that like juice, um, diversify their juices so that they're not always just drinking apple juice, for example. And, and yeah. those are just good rules of thumb to live by to limit your exposure to these various things. It's very hard to put a definitive, this is how many cancers are going to be caused by this many kids drinking this much apple juice. We will never get to those very, very discrete lines. I think what we have to look at is this is a carcinogen and a very potent one where even regulating it in water has been tricky because it's hard to get out of water, Uh but where we know we accept the highest risk in terms of levels um, because it is such a potent carcinogen, it really blows the other ones out out of the water when you look at the acceptance of risk we take on even with the drinking water standard. Nobody should mistake that below the drinking water standard is absolutely safe and above it is unsafe. That's not how you draw lines on carcinogens. You're trying to get to something better, something better protective, um, and something safer. Um, But at the end of the day, really, um, it's about minimizing your exposure as best you can. So, um, but when we say that the federal government or the FDA has has established a certain parts per billion in our drinking water, and we're seeking that same level in juice, and and now you're saying that... um, you know, the drinking water, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that is that even if your drinking water contains a certain amount of, of arsenic, and that may or may not be contributing to cancers, how, how do you I mean, you can't limit the amount of water you drink, you know what I no, mean? Like you, you can there's still no kill way. the water you drink, though. Oh, you and, can. And, and you, it's can, a heavy metal. Um, you can source apple juice concentrates that have less arsenic in it. So, mm-hmm. you know, people sometimes say, oh, the limit's 10, therefore everything has 10. But that's not true. The average amount, average waters and the municipal supplies in this country have about two parts per billion of arsenic. Uh-huh. That limit was set based on economic reasons for feasibility of being able to reduce it in certain municipal water supplies because the filtration is so complex mm-hmm. and expensive. The original standard that EPA had proposed for drinking water was actually five parts per billion. And in state of New Jersey actually can meet that, so their their limit they've set for themselves is five. Um, again, I think these are, we need to have standards on the book so that there are limits and there's some kind of enforcement and oversight. And so for that, 
um, what we've set in apple juice is at least a good starting place. They did their own risk assessment for apple juice. It wasn't just take the drinking water standard and, mm-hmm. and put it on here. They've done a risk assessment. We are going to be analyzing that risk assessment and looking at it and making comment on it during this comment period that it will be over on September 13th um, in order to finalize this guidance. So we'll be looking at all of those things. Um, but getting to less arsenic even by the what is being regulated today is a goal um, and, and, is, and is better protective of public health. And when we talk about how arsenicals or arsenic is introduced into the food supply, and you mentioned pesticides being widely, um, you know, there is a whole class of pesticides that are used on crops. How do, they're how? not used on uh, all crops. They're used on cotton, and they're used on rights of ways still, like train tracks and freeways and things like that, and sod farms, so grass farms. Really? Yes, and those are the three uses there. The phase-out of those things had already begun um, uh, at least five or more years ago uh-huh. on other types of, of products because of this very concern of the interconversion to the inorganic form. Right, right. And the same with the poultry industry. But in the meantime, in areas where cotton farming has been endemic or poultry farming, and that's probably the southeast is the most vulnerable to those yeah. two industries. That's right. Um, and so there you have a lot of water uptake of arsenic in the area. And so are you seeing a commensurate level of rise in cancers? Um, that could be associated with arsenic, and that's kind of what blew the whistle on this? Or? Well, those studies really haven't been done, and, and you'd have to be able to remember pinpoint now rice consumption to cancer incidents, and so those studies do need to be conducted. It's just nobody's ever done those studies, uh-huh. and so we don't really know. What we do know when we've looked at the exposure database is that people who eat one portion of rice have 40% higher levels of arsenic in their urine. People who ate two portions of rice had 70% higher levels of arsenic in their urine than those who didn't. And so from an exposure perspective, you can see that from rice consumption. Your question is a good one. That hasn't been assessed. I see. And what about um, Asian communities or Indian communities, you know, South Asian and Asian communities that consume enormous amounts of rice, which they presumably buy from American sources? Um, No, they grow a lot of their own. And and you're right. We export a good amount of it. But, you know, there's a lot of basmati rice grown in India. There's a lot of jasmine rice grown around the world. There's... Rice is really something that is produced all around the world, and um, we're, it's another reason to look forward to what the FDA is doing because there's no question that when we looked at even our limited 36 number, 36 rice, actual rice products, looking at brown versus white and all sorts uh-huh. of things, um, the levels vary tremendously. And why do they vary tremendously? We know variety matters. Uh-huh. Uh, we know where it's grown matters. We know how it's grown matters. And so all of these things are things that even the rice industry today is now taking a harder look at, and the organic industry today is taking a harder look at. Uh, the USDA's Arkansas Research Center finally in the last two years has looked at um, these conditions where um, arsenic is being taken up by the plants. Interestingly, there was so much arsenic in the soils in the south-central United States that the USDA was put there um, several years ago to help the farmers develop varieties that would tolerate the arsenic toxicity. And so nobody ever really bothered to say 
or at least look at the uptake of arsenic related mm-hmm. to those endeavors, but it sure seems like a lot of the rice that comes from that region can tend to have higher levels of arsenic um, than others. Now, we didn't do every single rice around the world, but that needs to be done and it needs to be looked at, and those things are being done at a higher level. There's the uh, Codex food level, which is the UN um, World Trade Organization kind of level, and then there's also... Um, uh, uh, the FDA and, and looking at the different thousand rice samples they have. Now, Asians tend to have lower incidences of bladder cancer altogether, and they eat white rice. Um, when we looked at white versus brown, you know, brown for every paired white-brown counterpart will have more because of the biology of how the arsenic is taken up in the rice hull. The outside of the rice, the brown part takes, tends to take up more. Now, wow. that said, we did find brown rice from California that had lower arsenic than white rice from certain areas um, or certain other brands of rice we tested from the South Central United States. So mm-hmm. it's not always brown. It's always higher than rice, uh, than white. Right. But um, it understanding <laughs> the brown biology rice helps you around that. How rice is prepared, so soaking rice a lot and cooking it pasta style, those are two ways you can actually studies show can reduce the amount of inorganic uh-huh. arsenic that you might be exposed to. So it's these are all good questions as to what cancer rates look like everywhere related to their rice consumptions, but these are not studies that have been done. And just because they haven't been done <laughs> doesn't mean that, that then, therefore, it, there is no relationship. And, uh, again, you know, we regulate the amount of inorganic arsenic people are getting from water all over the world. We know it is a potent carcinogen. So right. setting standards in food um, is, is, is a logical next step. That's fantastic. Ravashi, we have to wrap it up there. And uh, I want to invite people to check out notinmyfood.com. Is that the right website? Uh, .org, yeah. .org, excuse me. Um, and again, thank you so much for doing a little bit of a last minute uh, moment with me here about sure, arsenic. Katie. It's really interesting. And I hope to see you soon, Ravashi. Enjoy yeah, the rest of too. your summer. Thanks a Take lot. Take care. Thank you. And thanks to my sponsor. And thanks to my listeners for tuning in. This has been another episode of what doesn't kill you. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.